How good was it having Carl share with us? We get to hear Carl share with us each week in our pastoral team meetings. But oh, that was a little loud. But it's great hearing him sort of lead us this morning, share a bit of what's going on in the life of our church. For those of you who haven't met before, um, my name's Josh, really excited to be gathering together this morning, and as Carl said, to continue looking at this book of Ecclesiastes. Mark led us off last week, um, introducing us to the book, considering what it looks like to be wrestling with life in complex times. Um, He walked us through the first six chapters. Today I'm looking at Ecclesiastes 7. Next week, Melinda will take us through the next three chapters. And it's been running over my mind why Mark only left me one chapter this week. He's trusted himself with six, Melinda with three. I've been choosing to believe it's not a lack of trust in me, that there's something important that Ecclesiastes 7 has to say. That's how I've been sleeping this week. But um, we're going to read through um, Ecclesiastes 7 in a minute, because the benefit of having one chapter is we actually can read the whole thing together without putting it jeopardy, saying under 20 minutes for Carl's sake. So if you'd like to open up Ecclesiastes 7, we'll read from that together. While you're doing so, if you haven't said a good cheery good morning to the person next to you, now take the time to do so because it's not the cheeriest passage that we're going to be reading together. So while we're all happy from singing and walking in from the sun, um, yeah, make the most of that. If you've got Ecclesiastes 7 open, you'll see the cheeriness go away after about a sentence. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless." Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing, and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their life, about their future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound, so who can discover it? 
I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered, adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things while I was still searching but not finding. I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. So a really nice cheery passage this morning. You can see why Mark stopped at chapter 6 last week. And it feels like the author's had a pretty tough day when he's written this. Come home from a rough day at the office and hasn't been in the best mood when he's gone to, gone to pen this. But as hard a passage as this is, as hard as it sounds as first, I'm really glad there are passages like this in the Bible. Passages that match our own experiences in life. Passages that wrestle in the way that we wrestle or struggle in the way that we struggle. That don't pretend everything is health, wealth and prosperity. That don't pretend life is all rainbows and unicorns. Passages that make us realise we haven't completely failed when we get home at the end of the day or when we feel sick and tired and say things like the day of death is better than the day of birth or that everything is meaningless. Passages that match our own experiences. We have to ask ourselves, what do we do with passages like this? I think our answer fundamentally comes down to what we think the Bible is for. If we read the Bible as an instruction manual, in the way I think it's tempting to do a lot of the time, then passages like this get really tricky, don't they? We read this and we go, are we just meant to get down about life? Should we all be mopey? Let's stop laughing. Let's all be, we'll be serious when we have coffee together. Maybe we'll force ourselves to reflect on our mortality, spend some time thinking about death. We'll renounce all happiness. None of us will go to parties this week. But we all know that's not true, don't we? None of us are taking that to heart and thinking that's how we're supposed to live. And I believe we're meant to approach the Bible as God's self-revelation. God revealing himself through stories, through poetry, through history but also revealing himself through the author's own wrestle. And I think this means that we have to approach the Bible relationally because we don't just wrestle with life in complex times, as this slide says. We also wrestle with the world. We wrestle with ourselves. We wrestle with each other. But we also wrestle with texts like these, with the living word of God. We wrestle alongside an author who sees and experiences the very things that we ourselves struggle with, that names things that don't make sense that are meant to be wrestled with, that aren't meant to be easy. So in the first half of this chapter, in the first 12 verses, we see the author wrestle with these truths that they've observed around them. And it seems to centre around this idea that there's greater value to you and I, greater value to the author, in those things that are difficult than the things that are pleasant. Let's look at a few of the key comparisons. I've picked out four that occur in the first 12 verses. Frustration is better than laughter. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, not the house of pleasure. A wise rebuke is better than foolish praise. Endings are better than beginnings. Seems the author recognises that the things we want aren't always what's best for us. Author's almost a good parent in this sense. They recognise that it's in struggling. It's in the difficult times. It's in wrestling that we develop wisdom. Wrestling is the place where wisdom is developed. Because as uncomfortable as, truth, as uncomfortable as these truths are, the writer's revealing things that we know are accurate. We know are right. If I look at my own life, I've learned far more from the things that have frustrated me, 
the things that have been annoying, the things that have been difficult, than the things that have made me laugh. I've learned much more about God and about wisdom in my own times of mourning and hardship than in times of pleasure and joy. We all know that a timely and wise rebuke is far better than praise from the masses in what it teaches us. We learn more from getting to the ending of a process or a journey than we do from simply setting out on it. We stop and name it like that. These truths aren't even that complex, are they? They're simple ones that we all know. And if wisdom is what we seek, then the author of Ecclesiastes is probably right. It's worth sitting in some uncomfortable and difficult spaces and reflecting on what they teach us. Should clarify here, my application for the message isn't going to be go sit in a cemetery and reflect on mortality or something like that. If that's what works for you in helping to consider this, by all means, go for it. But as we mentioned before, we're dealing with this text relationally. We're meant to interact with it. And if we do so, we have to point out that at times in this book, the author seems to contradict themselves. If we go back a couple of chapters, chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, the author writes... I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Sounds like it's written by a completely different person, doesn't it? Not just two pages removed. Maybe they'd had a better day that day. Maybe the sun was out. Maybe, maybe their friends and family treated them a bit better. But there's many examples throughout Ecclesiastes where they, there's these supposed contradictions, these things that don't seem to match up. But I don't think they're contradictions because, again, this book isn't an instruction manual. It's not a step-by-step guide to how we're to approach life. It is God revealing himself to this author, revealing himself to us as we wrestle with the things that we see and experience, those things that are tough. It doesn't seem so on first reading, but as I've sat in this passage, in this really tough passage this last week, I've discovered I think it's one that can provide us great hope in our own complex times something that has to say to us right now. Because the author recognises that wisdom, that learning, that the revelation of God himself often comes out of complex times. It's often discovered in our wrestle. If you pull up to mind now someone that you consider wise, the person that epitomises wisdom in your world, there's a few things that will often characterise them. Often they'll have some experience. They'll be older, perhaps grey hair, But one thing that I'm absolutely convinced will be behind them is a wrestle. There'll be something that's helped shape them. Some adversity they've faced, some difficulty they've had to work through. At the moment, we've been reading a series of books to to James at home, this um, series called Little People, Big Dreams. And it tells these stories of um, people, inspirational figures in life, from all spheres of life. And it tells their story from childhood and how they went on to achieve their dreams. But one, one thing that's common across all these people's lives is that they faced adversity, that they were shaped by their struggle. And it was the things they learnt through their adversity, things they learnt through their struggle, that helped them to go forward and achieve their dreams. Because once again, wrestling is the place where wisdom is developed. Our reality, I think Carl touched on it before, like it or not, is we sit in complex times right now. It's why we've chosen this slide, it's why we've chosen this book to work through because we think it's relevant to what we're journeying through. I'm sick of hearing the word, I'm sure you are. I'm looking forward to the time when we go back to using this word once every couple of months instead of once an hour. But we're living in unprecedented times. A once in a lifetime pandemic. And it's been, what, two, three years? But we've been naming as a team, it feels like we've been wrestling forever. 
We're not just wrestling with a pandemic, we're wrestling with all the normal things. Relationship breakdowns, family difficulties, sickness, struggling for meaning. We're consistently, continually wrestling at the moment. And this isn't what any of us would have chosen if we went back a couple of years. But perhaps we can find some small hope in what this time has the potential to teach us, has the potential to teach each other, in the wisdom that it can produce. These times, whether we like it or not, force us to face our mortality. Reveals things about the way we treat each other. We've seen that in recent weeks. Doesn't allow us to continually distract ourselves with frivolity and mirth. We've realised our money, as this passage says in verse 13, it's helpful, it can provide shelter, but ultimately it can't sustain us. Perhaps these unprecedented times, these trying times, will help shape a generation of people who can lean on wisdom they gained through walking through these unprecedented times. When I wrote that down, I looked at it and went, that's a bit naive. Maybe that's just the optimist in me. Maybe that's me trying to find a silver lining where there isn't one. But I direct your, verse to, um, your attention to verse 19. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. I love that as a community here, we often pray for our leaders, for wisdom there. And the Christians that I walk alongside, that's often a pattern, a rhythm that we're in, is praying for our leaders, our politicians, those that are leading in fields. I hope we continue doing that. But perhaps we also need to be regularly praying for wisdom for you and I for our neighbour, for our communities. Because the one wise person can have power more than ten rulers in our city. What about the generation that's rising up now? Those who are gaining wisdom through walking through these unprecedented times. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you seeking wisdom at the moment? As we're struggling, as we're wrestling, are you seeking wisdom are you reflecting on what is going on? Because right now, it feels that it's easy just to go through the motions, to try and just get through this week, this month, this year, try to get past all of this. And maybe we're waiting on our rulers, our politicians, our leaders to show wisdom while we're not actually seeking it ourselves. And please don't hear me say that if we have enough people gain wisdom that it's going to mitigate all that's going on, as if it will all have been worth it. Many of you know my story from a young age, my mum got sick, we as a family faced cancer and she passed away. And I learned from an early age to name that that was a big part of my testimony. That I only learned some of the things I did through journeying through that, but it wasn't like it was worth it. That's one of the things we named as a family. God used that situation, but we would, would trade it in a second. It doesn't, the learning doesn't mitigate what is going on, but the author of Ecclesiastes recognises the truth. God uses the most difficult of circumstances. Circumstances like right now, God uses it to grow people. This passage, it's not just some self-help manual. It's not just pointing out that it's in the wrestle that wisdom is found. It isn't just trying to provide a glimmer of hope so that we have something to hold on to. Because we're reminded in the second half, as the author turns our attention to God, that true wisdom is found in fearing God. Verse 18, Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. This was the verse I kept coming back to this week because if anything feels like a word for the, these times, for right now, to me it feels like that. In these complex times where it feels we have to choose one thing or another, we have to fight one side or another side, we have to choose an extreme. 
Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. The fear of God also reminds us that no matter how wise we are, no matter how much experience we have, how much we manage to think ourselves to a certain point, we won't ever get close to understanding God. The author of Ecclesiastes is clearly a pretty wise guy. But even they reflect on this. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. We don't just hope because God can make the best of a bad situation. We don't just hope because God can use bad situations. We hope because God is in control of the crooked and the straight. No matter how complex things may look, no matter how out of control things may feel, no matter how unsettled I am, how disillusioned, tired, frustrated, angry, upset, exhausted, fatigued, anxious, or all at sea I am, God is in control. And as the people of God, we also proclaim, He is good. The chapter we read this morning, it finishes, no big surprises here, on a forlorn, almost hopeless note. The author says they struggle to find a righteous person amongst the masses. This common theme that comes up throughout the Bible, from Adam and Eve to Sodom and Gomorrah to the story of Noah. In this final verse, God created mankind upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. I'm so glad our Bibles don't end there. I could make them thinner and easier to read. But we know that's not the end of the story. We aren't left in hopelessness forever. Mark mentioned this last week. We have the great benefit of living in light of the Gospels, of the New Testament, that God came to earth through Jesus. We know wisdom came and dwelt among us. God came and wrestled. We see this throughout the Gospels in Jesus' story. Jesus' ministry begins by going out to the desert and wrestling with the accuser, facing temptation but choosing to walk the difficult path. Jesus didn't avoid the wrestle. He embraced it. He walked the dusty road to the cross even when it wasn't his favourite option, even when he'd the night before cried out, take this cup from me if you're able. God chose to wrestle with the difficult and maintained his righteousness. The God who could have had anything he wanted. He chose to endure frustration, wrestled temptation. Jesus approached those who were mourning, put himself in positions of mourning, in places of mourning, and he faced death and torture himself. Jesus, Jesus offered up many a rebuke, placed himself in positions where he could hear rebukes of him, but he never did so at the expense of loving, never did so at the expense of the kingdom. And God himself came to earth and endured the ultimate ending so that a new beginning could be promised to us. Jesus doesn't just teach us this. The Bible doesn't just teach us this. God lived this out. Jesus sat in the difficult. Jesus endured our wrestle, not just so that he could sympathise with us and go, I know what you're going through. But he also did, so, did it so that we can live in the knowledge that our wrestle, what we are going through now, our circumstances, our struggle isn't forever. It's not just that this pandemic is going to end, be it months or years, but there's an eternity coming where there are no pandemics, no sickness, no death. There's an eternity coming where divisions are no more, infighting is no more, frustration is no more, where endings are no more because of his wrestle. But for now... In the now but not yet, 
we are called to wrestle the best we can in our complex times. Big question is, why do we have to do it? Short answer is, I don't know. The author of the Ecclesiastes didn't seem to know either. But in their wisdom, the author moved on pretty quickly to this truth. God is in control. God is good. He will help us grow in adversity, in the wrestle. And we're called not to be a people who shy away from difficulty or adversity. We're called to seek to know God more through it, to love our neighbourhood more through it. So I return to that question I asked a little earlier. What are you doing to grow in wisdom? What does it look like to fear the Lord right now? Not to be scared of him, but to realise just how big he is, just how in control he is. Mark said last week, spending some time in passages like this is probably helpful. Spending time reflecting and listening to what's happening around us is helpful. Trying to find a third way that isn't an extreme on one side is helpful. Because we aren't just called to get through these trying times and then get back to the work of the kingdom. The world needs the kingdom right now. The world needs wisdom right now. The world needs God right now. The world doesn't need a wisdom that has all the answers. We need to have our heads down the books and be able to argue our position really well. The world needs a wisdom that seeks to learn how to wrestle well so that we can wrestle alongside and love our neighbour, so that we can less wrestle with a creation that's groaning, so that we can wrestle alongside the God who did the great wrestle for us. Our struggles, our wrestling with complex times provides hope. Hope for what can be. Hope for what we are confident will be. And because God himself came and wrestled among us. Wrestled so well that he said, you can't make yourself righteous, as this passage tells us. But I will make you righteous. Come struggle alongside me. As I've said in this passage, my prayers become that we don't try and brush over our complex times. We don't look for the quickest way out of this. That we grow in these times. That we develop wisdom in these times. That we learn to lean on God completely in these times. Because the world, because creation needs wisdom that isn't up here in our heads. That isn't just in an ancient text. But a wisdom that is outworked through our hands. Outworked through our lives. That is lived out and demonstrated in complex times. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we believe you are good. We know you are in control. We wrestle, but we know that you wrestled first. We know that you chose to sit in difficult spaces. We don't know why we have to sit in some of the spaces that we do, but we know that you are with us. We know that you are working. We know this world is in your hands. And that one day things will no longer be crooked. That one day there will be no more frustration, no more mourning, no more endings. Lord, you are the king. We need your kingdom now. We want to live out your kingdom now. Help us to be seeking your wisdom in this time. Through your word, through prayer, through action. Lord, we don't know why we're enduring complex times. We know that you are good. 
No, you are with us. Help grow us in your wisdom, in your love. Amen.